Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David is back and he brings us a sermon he titled, Burn the Ships. Let's listen. Well, my family uh, was once on vacation and it was a we were staying in a house that we'd never stayed in before, and we got in late one night. It was on the West Coast, so we were dealing with the time change, all of that. Suffice to say, my wife and I woke up first, and the kids were still sleeping. And I'm not going to name names, but someone burned the toast to the extent that the fire alarm went off. And it was a loud, like, just a blare, smokes coming up from the toaster, and my girls woke up to this. Now, they're in a strange house, their time change zones are kind of off, and, and they just flipped out. They, they ran upstairs, were running around going, what's wrong, what's wrong, is the house on fire? We had to tell them, no, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's just burnt toast. Well, the rest of the week, they had the most interesting reaction every time they walked into the kitchen. Yes, the rest of the week, they walked in the kitchen like this. And we would tell them, it's okay. We're, you know, that's not going to happen again. The fire alarm's not going to go off again. And, you know, we're not doing any more toast in that toaster. But they didn't believe us. And it, it made me realize, how often can your past affect your present? I mean, the past, that fire alarm going off, really shook them to the extent that then each day of the vacation, they were scared to enter that kitchen. And I bet that's been true for you in your life as well, hasn't it? Where you have gone through something, maybe it was even years ago, maybe it was in schooling, but it affected you so much that you remember it. and You still think of it from time to time. Or maybe you've gone through something traumatic, and you've been trying to process through it, and even years later, you're still trying to process through it. Yes, our past affects us. Perhaps the way that you were raised by your parents so influenced who you are that you see so much of them now in how you live, in how you parent, in maybe how you are as a husband or a wife. All of us are affected by our past and the things that have shaped us and molded us. But what I want us to hear today is that even though we are affected by our past, our past does not have to control our future. Yeah, there's a story in the Bible that we're going to read that gives us an example of how no matter what we've gone through, no matter how we've been shaped and influenced by what has happened to us previously, that we can give God control of our future. This story is about a king named Josiah. And the most interesting thing about Josiah is his age. When he became king, he was eight years old. Can you remember what you were like as an eight-year-old? Were you a mature eight-year-old? I mean, I've got an eight-year-old daughter, and she loves arts and crafts. She loves playing with toy ponies. I cannot ever, though, imagine her being given the leadership position of an, leading an entire kingdom. I mean, could you have done that when you were eight? I, when I try to put myself in the mindset of being back as an eight-year-old, I can remember a couple things. 
I can remember that I was in third grade, and my third grade teacher was named Miss Oliver, and she was one of the strict ones. You know, I was a little bit scared to be in her class each day. And there was one experience where I, I meant to raise my hand and say, Miss Oliver, I have a question. But what actually happened was I raised my hand and I said, Mom, I have a question. That probably seems like no big deal to adults, but as an eight-year-old, I was mortified. I came home from school and I said, Mom, I'm ready to move. You know, I can never go back to class. I called my teacher, Mom, there's no way I'm showing my face ever again. Because eight-year-old boys, you know, you're a little bit insecure. So when I try to imagine myself at that age, I cannot fathom being given the leadership position that Josiah was given when he was made king. But he didn't have a choice in the matter because his father, who was king before him, was assassinated. And what we've learned in Israel's history is that both his father and his grandfather were some of the most notorious and worst kings in Israel's history. Yes, his father and grandfather as kings, they set up all these centers of worship for idols. They said, don't worship God. You don't need to worship God. Worship these idols instead. And they were brutal in the way that they governed the people with an iron fist. That's Josiah's past. So don't you think that Josiah's past and his upbringing is going to affect the ways that then he governs, the way that he is a king. I would think it would affect him, but this is what we're told in Scripture. This is how he's described in Scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 23, it says, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. So Josiah, in Scripture, is remembered as being so good a king that there was no one like him. No one that came before, no one who came after. Josiah is unique in the type of king that he was. Well, I'm surprised by that. Because I would think as an eight-year-old boy, he would be heavily influenced by his past and by his family upbringing. How did he not let his past dictate his future? Well, that's what we're going to find out today in Scripture. That's what we're going to find out in the story of Josiah that we're going to read together. It begins with him seeing the temple and realizing, oh, that temple has fallen into disrepair. Remember, the temple, the place of worship, that would be like our church, it wasn't really used in this time period. They were just worshiping idols. They didn't really care about God. But he sees this temple and he says, that, that's fallen into disrepair. It's probably an eyesore. And he said, we need to fix it up. We need to hire people to go and repair the temple. So I want you to fast forward. He's now in his mid-20s when this story is taking place. And here's what happens. He tells his secretary, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, like the offerings, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people, and have them entrust it to the men 
appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. So again, the temple has just been neglected for decades. And he's saying, now it's time to repair this temple. So he sends the repairmen in. And one of the people who are tasked with repairing the temple, he wanders in to one of the back rooms. And in this back room, he discovers a book. This is a fascinating story in Scripture. I imagine it to be an old and dusty book, but he discovers a book, and he realizes immediately, this is an important book. This is a special book. And so he takes that book to the high priest, Hilkiah, And the high priest sees this book and says, this is a special book. There's something important about this. And so he brings this book straight to the king. Now, they don't call this book by name. They simply call it the book of the law or the book of the covenant. Today, we know that book to be the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in our Bibles. So that person, that repairman who wandered in the back of the temple found the book of Deuteronomy. Now, you might be wondering, okay, if he found the book, does that mean the book was lost? Yes, that's exactly right. They, for generations, did not have the book of Deuteronomy. It was just stuffed into the back of the temple. I sometimes wonder how God's people in this day and age could get so far off the path of following God. I mean, how did they come to worship idols so much other than the one true God, this story gives us a huge clue because the book that teaches us how to follow God, uh, the book that has the Ten Commandments in it, that has Moses introducing the covenant, that book was just stuck in the back of the temple, unread and unused. That would be like a little bit like us saying, oh yeah, I've, I've got a Bible at home somewhere. I think it's on a bookshelf somewhere. I don't know. I've not read it in years. That would be the modern day equivalent to how they treated the book of Deuteronomy. They were so far away from caring about what God thought that they didn't think to look for it or to read it. So Josiah is given this book. And here's what happens next. It says, Shapan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shapan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Yes, that's his reaction to understanding that they now have the book of Deuteronomy that they have neglected for generations. He tears his robes. He tears his clothing, which is not something we would do today, right? But in this time period, that custom was a physical way of saying, I am mournful. I am repenting. I have done wrong, and so I'm tearing my clothes to show everybody that that's my response. You see, King Josiah realizes that that the leadership, the kings before him, his father and his grandfather, they've really messed up. 
They have not followed God, and instead they've just neglected the book of the law and left it to gather dust in the back of the temple. I wonder, what would you do if you were in Josiah's shoes? If you were charged to lead an entire kingdom, but your past dictated to you that, hey, we don't care about God, this is the way we rule. But all of a sudden, you're given new information. You're given the book of Deuteronomy. You're given the Ten Commandments. What would you do with that information? I mean, judging from his past, I wouldn't blame him if he just said, you know, take that book right back into that temple. Go let it gather dust for another generation. I'm going to continue leading in the way I've been brought up to lead. I mean, our past sometimes can really force our hand, right? Or at least we feel like it can. But Josiah doesn't do that. No, instead, Josiah does this. It says, Then the king directed that all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem should be gathered to him. So he gathers everybody together. And the king went up to the house of the Lord. So he has everyone meeting at the steps of the temple. And with him went all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people. Are you sensing a theme here? He brought everybody together, both small and great. And what did he do? He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Yes, Josiah, he gathers everybody together. He doesn't leave anybody out. Prophets and priests, uh, peasants and lay people, all of Jerusalem gather at this temple that's been neglected for generations, and he reads to them the book of Deuteronomy. It's estimated that if you were to read Deuteronomy straight through, it would take you two and a half hours. If you were to read it out loud, it would probably take a lot longer than that. So imagine being a part of this group where the entire nation is together and they are reading out loud this book that has been lost for so long. What would that feel like, that whole experience? Well, so not only do they read it, but then we're told the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. So what Josiah does, and why he's remembered as one of the best kings in Israel's history, is he publicly declares that he's going to follow God, that they have been off track for a long time, but now's the time for the nation of Israel to get back on track. He reads Deuteronomy and says, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to learn from the Ten Commandments. This is the type of king that I'm going to be. And with his leadership, we're told that all the people followed him. They all said, we want to do that too, because they must have seen something, right? They must have seen something in the reading of that book for them to say, that's real. That means something. God is in that. That's, that's amazing to me, because this group of people had 
been growing up worshiping idols. But it must have been a hollow worship because when they read that book, they said, oh, that's what we need. That's true worship. That's actually God speaking. We want to follow God too. So Josiah makes a public pronouncement. This, this is what we're going to do. I'm really amazed by that. Because I would think the easiest thing would be for Josiah to just continue to follow in the ways of his father and his grandfather. Right? I mean, that's how he was raised. That's all he knew. The people in his upbringing that were most influential in his life did not believe in God. But Josiah decides to let the past be the past. And instead, Josiah chose to believe in God's vision for the future. I mean, that's a really beautiful thing because he sees something that he knows is real. He knows is true. He says, this is where God's moving in this nation and in my life, and this is where we need to go. And so instead of being tethered to an unhealthy past, he sees this vision of God's future and says, nation, let's head there together instead. I think of this scripture, and I think that each and every one of us, we also have a past. We've been shaped by experiences that have come before us, some positive and some negative. And if we let it, our past will try to control our present into our future. But what this scripture is saying is that the first step that we really need to take to, to get out of that is to recognize that God is actually in control of your future and that God is painting a vision of what could be, what might be, if only we would follow him. And so what we're learning is that God has a vision for your future that your past mistakes cannot compete with. Yes, and the first step is choosing to believe that, to find that vision, to say, I want to follow God in this arena. Now, if you recognize that God has a vision for your future, how do you begin to take steps towards that future? Well, this is what Josiah does. It says, The king commanded the high priest Hilkiah, the priests of the second order, and the guardians of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I just want to make sure you read that correctly. They have all these idols, and the idols are to foreign gods, Baal, Asherah, the household gods, all of that. And they were in the temple. They were in the place of worship. That would be like us in our church having idols to other gods. Like, yeah, you can worship that God, or you can worship that God, or you can worship the true God. That's what worship was like in the time of Josiah. And he says, take all those idols out of the temple. We do not want them there anymore. Take them out of the temple. And then he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron. Talk about a spring cleaning. He says, I don't want anything to, to tether you to this unhealthy past. No, we are taking these idols and we are burning them. 
You know, he realized it's not enough to simply proclaim, I'm going to follow God now. But he needed action too. He needed action to follow it up. And his action was to burn the idols so that there was nothing else to worship but the one true God. Have you heard the phrase, burn the ships? It's a phrase that comes from a story of a Spanish explorer, um, Hernan Cortez. And Cortez was supposed to explore the New World. And he brought 11 ships of people with him, of explorers. And they, they landed on shore. And what Cortez knew was that this was going to be hard work. I mean, they were going to be living off the land. They were going to be exploring a sometimes hostile environment. They were going to be encountering diseases that they hadn't encountered before. This was going to be a hard task. And Cortez knew that at some point living into that future, the men were going to want to turn back. The men were going to want to say, no, I want to go back to my home. I want to go back to my family. I want to go back to the bed that I am used to sleeping and not this hard ground of this exploration. And so what Cortez did is he, he gathered everybody together on shore, and then he burned the ships. He said, there's no going back. There's only one way to go, and that's forward. Yes, he burned the ships they came in on as a symbolic way to represent that they were going to do this together, that there was nothing that they could go back to. Together, they were going to move forward into the future. That's a little bit about what Josiah is doing, is he's telling the people, we have new information, the information about who God is and that God loves us. And because of that, there's no going back to the way things were. We have burned the ships. We have burned the idols, and there's only one way to go, and that's moving forward together into God's vision of the future. Yeah, that's what Josiah did in his time period, which is why he's remembered as one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And that's something we can do today as well. Because let's be honest, we all have ships to burn, don't we? We all have little escape valves in our lives that take us back to a past that's not helpful, that's not healthy, it can be hard to firmly shut that door to say, no, I'm not going to access that anymore. I'm not going to ruminate on that anymore. I'm not going to let my mind drift to that anymore. I'm moving forward into the future that God wants for me. That's why we study Josiah's story. Because Josiah is an inspiration to us to say, yeah, the, the past affects us. It shapes us, but it does not control us. Because the truth is, the only place that God can shape you and mold you and move you, the only place is in the present. It's in right now. It's not in the past. It's not in what's already happened. Right now is the place, the space that God can do God's work in you. So won't you let God, won't you let God work in your life? Won't you identify the, the places where you need to burn the ships and move on and instead keep your eyes focused on this future that God is painting? 
and say, God, I know that's what you want for me. So I'm going to live into that. I'm going to walk into that with confidence and boldness. Let us burn the ships. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.